Hello, this is former Fox Sports Wisconsin anchor and proud fellow Wauwatosan Jeff Grayson. From my position high in the booth, it appears conditions are good for this much-anticipated matchup. Let's go down to the studio. The action is about to start. It's season four of the Bait and Switch podcast. Welcome back to the Bait and Switch podcast. My name is Chris Beyer, as always, with my co-host, Jim Martin. Hello, fans and aspiring fans. You know, this whole uh, coronavirus thing is in the news. It's a little curious. There's a lot of things yet that I think we still don't know about it. For example, you and your wife both got the virus, right? I I can't tell you if I got it because of HIPAA laws, right? Well, if it's yourself, I think you can say whatever. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, we both had it. Yep, my whole, okay. <laughs> what the heck, my whole family had it. Yeah, now, that's Jennifer, a violation. She had it. <laughs> that's a violation. I mean, talk about yourself, but now that right. you're talking about yeah. your family, uh, that might not be good. But so you're in close contact, so that makes sense. You guys live sure. in the same house. It wouldn't be a surprise that you got it. Uh, but for some couples, you've heard that, where one gets and the other doesn't. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Uh, I know this one guy. He tested positive for the virus uh, and his wife was negative. And I said, yeah, what do you, th- what's the deal with that? And he said, ah, she's always negative. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's just kind of her thing. Well, anyways, <laughs> it's March of 21. We're all still wearing masks, right? Yes. Yep. And I'm sure you've had that happen where you're in the car, you're about to go into the store, you take 10 steps, you realize you don't have your mask, you turn around, right? Yep. I just had that happen the other day. I got up to the side. I, it's so stupid. But anyway, yes. Yeah, so I did that the other day, and I went back to the car, and apparently when I got out of the car, the, the one and only mask I had fell down by my feet. Oh, and boy. so when I got to the the car, I pick up this mask, and it's got a really dirty side on it. Yeah. And so the question I'm thinking is, do I put that next to my mouth, or do I put it facing out? Right. 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 Yeah. Either because if is... you put it facing out, you got a big footprint <laughs> on your yeah. face. And if you put it facing in, you're breathing in the big footprint, which might be worse than the germs around you. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I got this thing that looks like a dirty diaper. You know, and I'm thinking, what right. do I do with this thing? So I decided to go with it facing out. You know, I didn't want to okay. have the dirt next to me. Sure. And I tell you, when you do that, social distancing is not a problem. <laughs> I'll, bet. I'll bet i'll bet yeah yeah you got this coming. big brown stain on the front of your mask you yep. know, nope. six no feet yeah. hell they give me 20 feet yeah right hey that's pretty nice of them wow yeah yeah <laughs> well you know one last thing i was going to talk about with this whole uh, vaccination thing here yeah is you know a lot of people are wondering what life is going to be like after you get vaccinated you know things going to open up a little bit more right sure uh anthony cuomo anthony cuomo right that's the governor of new york He's been in the news and yeah. I heard him say that he wondered if he got fully vaccinated, uh, would he still have to wear pants? Tonight's guest <laughs> is the executive editor of the Milwaukee magazine, Chris Drosner. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me, guys. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for being here. So you're working for a Milwaukee magazine. I'm just going to run down a little bit of the history that I have here on my notes. Uh, the magazine was originally called Milwaukee sometimes called Milwaukee, the Metropolitan Magazine. And that was established in 1977, ran through 1983, and then switched over to Milwaukee Magazine, which publishes first edition in June of 1983, which the interesting thing to me is they published it as, according to my notes here, volume eight, issue five for their first edition. 
Uh, what else uh, am I missing, Chris? The big kind of change that happened in 1983 was that the magazine was bought by Quad Graphics, which is uh, still our parent company today. Okay. Um, they're the only magazine published by, I mean, there are hundreds of magazines published by Quad Graphics. It's a big, big, huge printing company and uh, kind of a multifaceted marketing firm, but we are the only magazine title that they actually own. So okay. um, yeah, it's, it's nice to be part of a relatively small shop, but part of a big company. Yep. And Betty Quadracci ran that for a long time, right? Yeah. She was the force in just about every way behind uh, Milwaukee Magazine through um, 2013, I believe, was when she died. She's a huge part of the legacy um, of what we're all about, really. The combination of, you know, celebrating the city and really being an advocate and kind of a hornblower for the city, but also telling hard truths and taking a very journalistic approach to a city magazine, which is um, not always the case, especially in smaller markets like Milwaukee. Sure. Do you uh, think that almost every city, say the size of Milwaukee and up has a magazine like this? Yeah, they're called city and regional magazines and there's a big association (laughs) association that, you know, they share ideas and it's great because, you know, we're peers, but not really competitors. So Um, There's a lot of idea sharing and stealing and (laughs) uh, all that stuff. So, yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see if in six months or a year, if if that's the case. But, yeah, pretty much every uh, city around this size has something like Milwaukee Magazine. Sure. Mm -hmm. So as executive editor, what do you do around there? Oh, you know, kind of just push papers around mostly. Okay, um, cool. Yeah, sounds good. You are being uh, recorded, I'm, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm the so as executive editor, I'm primarily responsible for the feature uh, well of the of the magazine. That's the you know the cover story, the long stories, the big packages that are kind of the the guts of the magazine, right in the middle of the of the actual magazine. There, so that's planning, editing, basically doing the ideas for that. Do a fair amount of writing too, not not a ton. Um, and then I'm also the editor for the uh, insider section, which is the newsier kind of issue city life portion of the magazine. Most of the journalism stuff. Okay, um, sure. The other sections focus more on uh, uh, Ann Christensen as our dining editor. She's probably the best food critic in the city. And then um, Lindsay Anderson handles the uh, culture coverage and your four and four and kind of some other lifestyle things, arts coverage, all that. So we talked a little bit off air about uh, advertising being down. And advertising is a huge <laughs> revenue force for magazines, obviously. Have, has that caused you guys, or maybe the pandemic in general, caused you guys to shift uh, what you're doing at all? Or uh, are you just kind of, uh, well, I don't know. What are you doing for it? You know, I think the shifts that we've had um, from the pandemic have not really been about advertising or revenue. It's been more about how you make a magazine that's going to make sense in two months or three months or one month, even when most of what you do is based on events and culture and things that are happening (laughs) when there's nothing happening, it's, it's kind of a challenge to, to do that. But for us, it became talking about the pandemic in ways that, I mean, you know, there's still, there's still news happening in the dining scene and in the, um, uh, in the art scene, uh, obviously, the news space is there's a lot going on. The, the the challenge was figuring out how to future proof that on the kind of monthly publication schedules that we have to work under. So that was a uh, tough. It was a little bit of a learning curve, but I think we got it figured out just in time to uh, you know not have to worry about it anymore. 
Sure. Right. That's always the way it goes, right? Yeah. <laughs> Chris, I noticed that in a recent Milwaukee Magazine article, you guys talked about hot neighborhoods and the number one hot neighborhood is the one that the Bait and Switch podcast broadcasts out of East Tosa. Me and Jim, proud East Tosans, we're kind of wondering, do we get some type of award because we live here? Uh, Milwaukee Magazine going to give us something? Should we expect sure. something in the mail? Maybe a parade or something? Yeah, that's in the mail. Um, oh, okay. right. um, that it's funny that uh, we, we chose those neighborhoods based on how the number of sales that they had in the last in 2020. And I actually contributed to the number of home sales in East Tosa. Um, I well done here in May. And so, yeah, I'll be I'll, I guess the, the that, that check is in the mail to me as well. No. Uh, Was it your purchase that put it over the top? I mean, it had to be sure. Probably. Yeah. I, I, but... I choose to believe it. Yeah. We, we yeah. actually had a little story about um, three of our um, staffers out of eight, I think on the editorial side, very small st- staff we have um, actually bought houses during the pandemic. So we had a little round table <laughs> where we talked about all our experiences. And the thing was like hot, like hot, hot market. And I talked to a freelancer just a couple of weeks ago and she said that it's, it sounds like it's gotten even crazier uh, since then. So yeah. Yeah, you mentioned you're talking about house sales. That is one of the focuses of Milwaukee Magazine real estate, right? Yeah, certainly um, in the advertising area, you know, that's that's a, a very frequent sector for advertising. We do like something like this package that we did um, in the March issue, the Where to Live, usually about once, about once every two years or so. Um, that's about the right kind of rate for refresh on it, and you know, with fresh stories and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's it's definitely. Um, something that we look at We've done stories on condo sales and, you know, real estate, downtown development. It's, it's all kind of part of a, to me, it's part of the way I kind of see the health of the city is, um, is through the things like that. So yeah, that's, that's definitely an of area of interest. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I've heard nothing but um, about the Tosa market that is just red hot, the wall Tosa real estate market. I mean, from what I've heard, houses don't even go on the market. And they're sold. And that's how we bought our house. And that was eight years ago. It's a place that a lot of people want to be. Yeah. My house just sold and it wasn't even for sale. That's right. a problem. Yeah. <laughs> I've, Chris, are you getting letters from people? I, it's, it Seriously? was sold out from under me. And yeah. uh, um, <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not getting letters. I've got a unique property. And uh, yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah. So yeah. maybe that's we, the case. We get, but... we get some letters. We get one, probably one every six months or so. Somebody says, Hey, um, Sometimes it's from a real estate agent. Sometimes it's actually from people. Hey, we're moving in the neighborhood. We really like that house and in, in your area. And if you're interested in selling, we're interested in buying it. Yeah. It's kind of a hot market for sure. Uh, doctors are a big thing, and plastic surgery and things like that seems to be another focus uh, of the magazine in terms of advertising and maybe content as well. Yeah, city magazines tend to kind of attract. Uh, I guess they call them like luxury advertisers. Uh, cosmetic surgery is definitely one of those areas. Um, we do do some uh, kind of advertorial, it comes special special advertising section, sections where there's a story that goes along with those. And I, when I started at the magazine, I was like, this is, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, 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 it's like, what are we doing here? But they're actually <laughs> interesting sometimes. Like, you yeah. know, like, I've learned a lot more about like uh, Botox and all these new platelet rich plasma therapies and yeah i know a lot more about that kind of stuff than i ever thought i would right i'm sure i'm sure you know a lot about the demographics of the people that read your magazine is it 
is your magazine and magazines like it tend to skew higher income? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's one of the selling points really for, for advertisers is, you know, that our, we have an affluent audience and as a editor, you want to serve the audience that you, you want, especially in a, a city that's as segregated and um, in many ways divided as Milwaukee is, it's easy to, you know, folk look at the advertisers and, you know, consider who their audience is and write stories for them. But we, we've made a, a real effort to um, speak to all Milwaukeeans, whether, um, you know, they're, whether they're buying, uh, you know, plastic surgery or not. So, um, and that's not to, you know, that's no slight on, on uh, our, our advertisers, but we serve the community and um, the community is basically the entire metro area. So, yeah, we do want to write stories about interesting things in Waukesha or um, Brookfield and not focus too narrowly on just the city, but the city is obviously the center of everything. And I think there's a lot of journalistic opportunity, I guess, in, in the core city. Sure. So we here at the Bait and Switch podcast do not necessarily subscribe to that. So I'm going to bring it back to Wauwatosa one more time. <laughs> now, I just happened to catch a, an article that you did. I just saw this on the website about the monolith in Wauwatosa. So yeah. what? I broke that story. I found the mo- I broke the monolith story. I was out at the county grounds, taking the dogs out there with the fam. And as we've done basically every day since the pandemic started, and we're walking around and all of a sudden there's like, what is, what is that? I'm like, is that a monolith? This is kind of late in the, in the time, you know, remember like around Thanksgiving, they yep. started popping up and really well done ones, like, you know, brushed metal and shiny. Right. This and were... was not that. This was just, oh, a, okay. it looked like a nicely spray painted cardboard or maybe like particle board, uh, you know, facing, if you nudged it, it, it moved, you know, I think it, oh, okay. the other monoliths, you look like they you need a bulldozer to knock them over. Yeah. So Chris, and, let uh, me back up just a little bit here. It was you and your family. Was there any other people to independently verify this <laughs> that right. did not have a stake in uh, the story? I, I have no monolith. proof that I did not erect the <laughs> county grounds monolith. No. Uh, if you got a guilty conscience, Chris, you know, this is a place to let it, let it out. Right? We're here for you. I didn't do it. I didn't make it. <laughs> and, you know, and we were out there and I'm like, put a picture on Facebook, tweeted it. And I'm like, man, when you tweet about monoliths, you get a bunch of weirdos in the, in the, in the mentions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was interesting. Like, it's you know, not your target like, audience. You see people and just weirdos. I'm, I'm like seeing how much interest there is on, on social media. I'm like, I guess I should write a story. And I think it ended up being like one of the best, like most popular stories that month or something. Sure. Not that the, we keep track of that. No, no, yeah. no. Right. Not, yeah, that, not that we give out, not that we give out awards or anything for anything yeah, like that. No. Coupons oh, or parades. And such. The yeah. Press club, yeah. You know, Chris, you talked about how about two years to refresh a story idea regarding neighborhoods. There are some annual issues that you guys do. Is there one that tends to sell best uh, off the newsstand every year? Is there an issue best of Milwaukee or something that, that tends to move quicker? Uh, That's a great question. You know, I think our best of issue is probably kind of the perennial most popular one. I'm guessing that's similar. That's the case for a lot of the media outlets that, that do that kind of thing. We try to do something different every year with it. There's always a reader's choice element where people can vote on the best burgers and tacos and stuff like that. Uh, We publish best of every September 
And we spent a lot of time thinking about how to, how to really do that in a pandemic year where so much of the things that we, that we write about, like the restaurants and, you know, retail shopping, all that stuff was not really happening. Yep. We figured out ways to do, you know, kind of encapsulate the year that was without trying to be too much of a downer. And um, I, my, I did, I did a few pieces for it, but one of my favorites was, well, certainly my favorite was last year. We got it. We've got a, a 10 year old in the house here and hopefully yours. Yeah. Yeah. He's ours. Um, <laughs> just uh, have one later. I just I, checked I, on him. He's Sometimes he's running. I, I'm going to check the Amber alerts in the neighborhood. Here, Jim. <laughs> I'll be right back. Um, but early on in the pandemic, my wife bought a went right after, shortly after we moved, um, she bought out one of those big kiddie pools. Like she bought it on eBay. And I'm like, if you're buying something on eBay, because it's sold out everywhere else in a pandemic, you're getting hosed. And it turned out that it was the best thing ever. And not because Louie liked it. I mean, Louie was into it a few times. The kids splashing around and stuff. Sure. I was the master of the kiddie pool. Nice. I would get in there and get a float on, have the brewers on. And once they started up playing, playing ball again, and, and it was very relaxing. Cool. Beers. It was Nice. So I wrote a little ode to the kiddie pool and how kind of it turned out to be like this silver lining about you know, it. It's one of the it's one of the great things about a magazine versus like, you know, the newspaper where I used to work. Like the topic doesn't need to be the thing that's the most important. Sometimes it's just the way it, the story's told that that becomes the thing that is the best thing about that. You know, sure. yeah. mm-hmm. well, you know, as executive editor of this magazine, there's a lot of things you can do. You got the flexibility that you said. So, for example, best of, you know, you could start a new category, best podcast, best local podcast. You know, you could just say, bait and switch right now. You could just say, we're going to do it. We're going to put it on there. We're going to feature it. Sure. It's a no-brainer. Would you guys want to buy an ad? Uh, Well, we'll Uh, get back to on that. That's not how best of works anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Touche. Well, hey, you know, getting back to having some freedom to write some different things, we know that another thing, another thing that you do, is you write about beer for the the State Journal, right? Yeah, yeah. So I have a column called the Beer Baron that I've been writing for ten years now. My last job was at the Wisconsin State Journal in Madison, and essentially a weekly column. Is there any tie-in that you started this beer column when you first had children? (laughs) <laughs> 10 years ago, you had a 10 year old. All of a sudden you right. feel the need mm-hmm. to drink. Actually, I married into that kid. So I, I the, the, <laughs> it was, it was not even a glimmer in my eye at that point. Uh, the beer stuff is definitely a passion and it's fun to become an expert in something that you didn't think there were even experts in, I guess. Uh, I've, I've actually been writing a beer column since, Oh God, the first one was like 2001 or something, 2002, maybe. Um, and that was at my first job back in Green Bay. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of a gray beard when it comes to the beer writing thing. Do you like beer? Do you even like it? I do like beer. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, you know, obviously my focus is more on kind of craft beer and just because there's more to write about, there's more content mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, watching the explosive growth of local breweries and Wisconsin beer and all that even since 2011 there, you know, the, the number of breweries has probably at least doubled probably more than that. And then seeing kind of that slow down and just change and 
here. It's all very interesting, and I feel like I'm babbling on. Well, no, I mean it's a, it's a passion of yours, clearly. Yeah. People that are too passionate about beer, they generally call that a problem. <laughs> um, yep. <laughs> I guess you know, I've heard it said that microbrews and and uh, special brews like this have taken what some people consider a problem and turned it into a hobby. Jim knows this. I'm not much of a beer guy or a wine guy for the most part. If I have something, usually it's crack. <laughs> and, uh, I didn't think we were going to talk about that in the air, but all right. Yeah, I write a column about crack uh, for a local paper. And anyway, I'm teasing, obviously. Uh, that problem, I've, I've, I've beaten that a couple of years ago. I'm good with that for now. But anyway, anyway, I thought about this that a lot of people, obviously we're teasing about substances here, but uh, you know they tend to drink sometimes you know, to deal with stresses of life and people kind of use it as a way to you know, kind of forget about the problems for the week. When they, some restaurants will have pairings, right? They say, you know, drink this with that, right? Mm-hmm. And I always think that that's a little bit of a... I don't really think that's a thing. I think it's whatever your particular taste is, what you like. But I thought perhaps, you know, they could start in restaurants, do pairings. They have more to do with what I talked about, about stress. And so perhaps they could recommend a certain wine for anxiety or like a microbrew for uh, you know, a boss that's a micromanager, you know, just pairings that are more accurate to everyday life. Makes yeah, sense I mean- to me. Certainly, uh, sounds like double IPAs all around, really. You know, a beer obviously has had a lot of buzz about it over the years, but it seems to me and Jim, because we've talked to Steve Palick about this, bourbon is kind of the hot liquor right now. Is that the case? And what's the next thing that's going to be, you know, that's going to be the next hot thing? Uh, I mean, bourbon certainly has that kind of craft aspect to it. Um, I think it's interesting how these bourbon, how these distilleries kind of just start up. Like, um, you know, Eagle Park, is a brewery in uh, Milwaukee and Muskego. They built a big new brewery and they have an area where they're doing distilling as well. And of course, like bourbon, you can't open your brewery at last May and then now have bourbon because that takes a long time for that stuff to to work. So what they did was they worked with a, I guess it's like a, in in the, in the beer industry, they call them like a craft or uh, I'm sorry, a contract distiller where they, but the, it's a, it's the, it's a, these huge uh, distilleries where they they're aging all this all the all these bourbons or and other, all kinds of other spirits too, and then they they find like a, a, a you know kind of a proprietary blend just for a new client who wants to start up their own thing and but they want if you know if you want to have product early on in your life as a distillery you have, this is the way that you have to go for certain spirits that take, you know, like five years to mature or whatever. As far as like trends go in the beer industry, hazy IPAs are the big thing right now, or have, have been the big thing the last couple of years. Um, everything's kind of going toward the sweet end of things. Like uh, they call them slushy beers where it's like a slightly sour beer with a ton of like fruit mm. in it. So it's like the, the consistency is like a, slushy or like a um almost like a smoothie type thing mm. there's that much fruit in them i'm not really a big fan of that kind of stuff and vanilla in everything you know milkshake ipas uh chris and i neither one of us are big beer drinkers so this sounds like they're trying to get us into the beer industry is what it sounds like to me <laughs> yeah like the yeah, fruity drinks become, yeah. the sweet drinks milkshake kind of i started I, milkshake, right. said milkshake yeah. i thought smoothie yeah. i'm with you take out the beer and i'll take the milkshake right <laughs> 
I like the fruit so, of this movie. Lipstick IPA, hold the, hold the IPA. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I think um, the up and coming trend is going to be light beer. The, that, the craft beer industry is about two years ahead of you on that. There has been a major push toward the kinds of beers that originally craft beer microbrews were like rebelling against, you know, right. the, the light fizzy beer. And that's been a thing. There've been a, there's been a big push toward locale IPAs in beer, especially since seltzers have come on, you know, with hundred calories on every can and people are like, Hey, sure. hundred calories tastes good beer. What do you got? And then, so there've been uh, a whole class of kind of low calorie, full flavored beers that are happening. So yeah, there, there's a lot of, there, there's so much going on with different things. Uh, one trend that I'm really hopeful really takes hold and, and goes beyond just kind of the diehards is a trend toward really like kind of traditional beers and really drinkable things like mm. your traditional lagers, your German Pilsners, that kind of stuff. Um, those are not always easy beers to make, but they are classics for a reason and taste great. Chris Drausner, the executive editor of the Milwaukee Magazine. We want to thank you for being on our show tonight. Yep, and, thanks, uh, thanks, Chris. We really appreciate your time. Uh, really enjoyed it, guys. Thanks for having Join us next time on the Bait and Switch podcast with our guest, endurance athlete Ryan Simon, when he talks about riding the nearly 3,000-mile Tour Divide mountain bike race. Turns out it can be a real bear. You're out in the middle of nowhere. What about... Uh, did you see much wildlife? Is there any fear of wildlife? There is a lot of wildlife. Once you hit the basin in Wyoming, the big fear of wildlife kind of stops because you no longer have that grizzly uh, thought in the back of your head. They, they mm. kind of stop there. Then it's just black bears. But man, I, ca I can't tell you how many black bears I saw. I almost hit one. You've made it to the end of yet another Bait and Switch podcast. Spread the word.